Welcome back to another podcast, everybody. I am so, so glad to be back after our two-week hiatus. Yes, I know, unfortunately, I had to miss the last two weeks. Bree and I moved houses here in Austin, so a whole week was just consumed by packing and moving and unpacking. And then the following week was spent setting up a new podcast studio here in our new house, which I am super, super excited about. So unfortunately, it just took a couple weeks to get everything squared away, but we are back to weekly podcast episodes. I missed it. Um, Two weeks felt like an eternity. And we are coming back with a very, very strong episode that I know you guys are going to enjoy with my good friend, Travis Osborne. Travis is a friend here in Austin. He is a CRNA, which is basically a licensed anesthesiologist. But over the last couple of years, he has transitioned out of being an employee to now owning and operating his own multi-million dollar business. And Travis is such a good dude, such a genuine human, and I love hanging out with him, spending time with him, talking all things from business, fitness, relationships, life as a whole, and so many other things in between. But some of the key topics that we talked about in this episode are making the jump from being a W-2 employee working underneath somebody else to then starting your own business, becoming an entrepreneur, all the hardships that come with that jump. We touch on his experience and his career as an anesthesiologist. Going into this episode, I knew basically nothing about anesthesia. And now I feel like I nearly have a bachelor's degree in anesthesia after hearing Travis talk about his experience and what he does on a day-to-day basis. We also talk about how to create balance in your life from fitness, business, family life, social life, all of the key pillars of life. How do you implement those when you have such a busy schedule? Travis also gives us a ton of amazing resources for business-minded people, anybody that's an entrepreneur or anybody looking to start a business. I think you guys are really, really gonna enjoy this episode. We even talk a little bit about running and his own fitness endeavors as well. So it's a really great episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. But before we go too far into it, let's first hear from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Switchback. Switchback is a community brand that provides high quality fuel and gear to help you reach your fitness goals. And if you are listening to this episode on or before Monday, November 27th, which is Cyber Monday, then you guys can still take advantage of the Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals from Switchback. These deals started on Black Friday, November 24th, and will run through the end of Cyber Monday, November 27th. These deals include 20% off the entire website. Yes, every single product on our website is 20% off right now. You can also get a $20 gift card with the purchase of any two tubs of electrolytes as well as as well as receive free shipping on any order over $75. This is the first sale that we've done since we launched Switchback just a few months ago and since the sale went live on Friday the electrolytes and all the gear has just been flying off the shelves. The support has been so overwhelming. We had a record number of sales on Black Friday and still continuing to receive lots of orders through the weekend. If you guys have already ordered Switchback, we cannot thank you enough for all of your love and support for our brand and our mission. We truly cannot say thank you enough. But if you have not yet taken advantage of our Black Friday Cyber Monday deals, you can head over to goswitchback.co to receive 20% off your entire order. You can also get a $20 gift card with the purchase of any two tubs of electrolytes and you will get free shipping on any order over $75. This sale will run through the end of today, Cyber Monday at goswitchback.co. This episode is also sponsored by 2Before Performance Nutrition. 2Before is by far one of my favorite running supplements. I take it every single day and especially before big 
races, or big running workouts. Two before played a crucial part in me hitting my 244 marathon PR at the Chicago Marathon in October earlier this year. If you're not familiar with Two Before, they are a New Zealand-based company that creates some of the highest quality blackcurrant powder on the market. The blackcurrant berries that they use are grown in New Zealand soil, which gives their benefits an extra boost. Blackcurrant berries have been proven scientifically to increase endurance, speed up muscle recovery, and strengthen immunity. I take Two Before every morning, about 30 to 60 minutes before my runs, and it tremendously helps with my recovery, my performance during the workouts, as well as strengthening my immune system. Like I mentioned, this is truly one of my favorite running supplements, and I would recommend it to anybody looking to improve their health and fitness journey. You can use my code JMiller for $10 off your order at twobefore.com. Again, that is JMiller, J-M-I-L-L-E-R, for $10 off your order at twobefore.com. And with all that being said, let's dive into this episode with Travis Osborne. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Miller. Every week, I chat with fascinating people from all walks of life in order to bring you knowledge, inspiration, and insight. If you enjoy the show, you can support it by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with a friend. This is the Jeremy Miller Podcast. Travis Osborne. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Stoked to finally have you, man. I feel like it's, it's been... A long time in the making. We've had, I think at this point, we've had probably about 15 to 20 long run podcasts that yeah. just did not make <laughs> the air. I mean, that's, I feel like that's what a long run conversation is really. 100%. Unless we do a long run at your pace and then it's normally me going <laughs> <laughs> and you're asking me questions like, yeah, 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 yeah that's what we did last weekend. <laughs> Dude, you always make this joke that you're like some old guy, but you're not even that old. No, it's, I, I, I just turned 35, actually, that was, that was last recently, week, right? yeah, or two weeks ago. So yeah, on the 14th. Congrats. How do you feel about that? I feel old. No, um, I feel good, man. Um, honestly, I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. I feel I'm in a really good place mentally. I just feel like, man, like this is what 35 is supposed to feel like. I feel great about it. That's cool. Do yeah. you do a lot of like blood work or anything like that? Um, not as much as I probably should. Um, but I did actually, um, I don't know if you remember maybe three months ago, four months ago, it was during summer, I guess. So four months ago, um, I ended up getting really, really sick. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had uh, really bad food poisoning and it was not a good situation. I had to go to the hospital. It was like not ideal. You sent me a voice message, I think, and you sound like you're dying. <laughs> I'm like, are you I, okay? <laughs> I felt like I was dying. I actually thought, and it was like, Everything was coming down at the same time. I ended up getting this like horrible, I had Shigella dysentery, like not an ideal, you know, thing to get. What is that? Foodborne illness. Um, it's a, uh, it's a bacteria that they find in like shellfish. Um, it's present in a lot of third world countries. So um, oddly enough, I was just here in Austin and uh, I grabbed fish from the supermarket, cooked it that night. Clearly I did not cook it long Ooh. enough and uh, woke up the next day and just sick, sick. So Dang. that lasted for like two weeks. I ended up losing 11 pounds. Holy I mean, shit. I looked like I was emaciated. I felt terrible, but um, did a lot of blood work during that time. <laughs> so I actually got all my blood work done and uh, all my labs were within normal limits and everything. Nice. And uh, uh, oddly enough, you know, I thought like at that time, like getting my testosterone checked and like, yeah. you know, kind of everything, um, I thought everything was going to be low. Everything was within normal limits and it was all good. 
That's crazy. I know, right? Especially during that time like that. Yeah, I do. It's wild. Have uh, you gotten it checked like since then to see if it's gone up even more? Like everything's improved? I, I haven't um, and I need to. Um, so maybe before the end of the year, I'll probably try to set an appointment and get that done. But um, if anybody, you know, I'm, you have a big audience. If anybody has a good suggestion for where to go to get blood work, that would be, that'd yeah. be awesome. Dude, I just did mine, uh, I think it was like October maybe. Yeah. It was like right before I did my 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 last marathon and um i never done blood work before but i used merrick health yeah have you heard of them yeah, yeah uh yeah you like pick and choose it's like this big like menu of things you want to get tested and you just pick and choose whatever you want and then i think you go to lab to do the testing it's like super simple yeah but they do the drop. i recommend that yeah. and they sent you the results right i remember seeing you yeah. had a video on instagram you were kind of growing through them yeah. wasn't your testosterone was a little bit low wasn't it uh testosterone was good i think it was even slightly above average oh nice but my estrogen was like zero that yeah or was near zero it was, yeah it was like nothing it's too manly dude yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I, I think uh I think it's from running so much for sure. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And, you know, like a lot of uh, endurance athletes, they end up either having low testosterone or like high markers for inflammation and yeah. stuff. And they just don't realize like, you know, the harder that you are in your body, your body just generates an inflammatory response, right? It's like, right. it's like when you, um, you run a marathon and you're running, you're pushing the pace the whole time, you're in that zone four, zone five, like the whole two and a half hours, three hours. I mean, you're, you get sick afterwards yeah. or you can end up with that, you know, runner's flu after a big event. Have you had that after any of the races you've done? No, uh, I felt, um, I felt kind of shitty after the first half marathon that I did. And I think that was just like, you know, just me kind of being inexperienced yeah. and, and going after it. And what was kind of weird is like, you know, my last mile on that half marathon was by far my fastest. I felt like nice. I had so much more in the tank, but I just didn't really have like a good set plan or a set point. So I just finished like, you know, balls to the wall and <laughs> ended. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, my legs. Next morning I woke up, I could barely walk, you know, all of the above. I feel like it's been a minute since you've done any races. What was the last one you did? Um, it has been since that um, since that half that I ran in Southern California. So it's been two and a half, two years, I guess. Was that the OC? The OC, yeah. Okay. You ran that the last year, right? Yeah, yeah, it was fun. That, that's a great, great track. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful a, out there. Dude, it's so nice. And um, I mean, that area is just, they have the best weather. They have Dude. the best waves. It's a it's a good little spot uh, to be. I've got some friends that live out there. So Heck yeah. do you have any uh, races like coming up? I know, I know you you run consistently, but are you like training for anything specific? I'm not. I was actually thinking about that the other day when I was you know looking at my week and um, I use uh, Jeff Cunningham as a as a coach um, here in in Austin. He sends me workouts, but. I'm not training for anything. He's always kind of pushing me like, pick a race, pick a race. And I'm like, ah, like, I don't know. And um, my my schedule with work and everything is kind of always up and down. But I just like being able to to feel fit, right? And, and just this idea of like, you know, being able to run really far and be able to build an engine, but then also like being able to lift weights and being able to like maintain my body weight. Um, so for, for me, those are kind of the staples. I love that. Do you feel like it's hard to stay motivated to like train every day when you're not, when you have like a race or a specific goal and it's just kind of this like big generalized thing of just like, I just want to feel good and I, look good? I don't know. I think um, for me, especially like over the past two years, I think when I, so I, I started running three years ago really, but 
the past, the first year that I was doing it, it was all motivation, right? It was just like I'm watching videos. I'm seeing, you know, guys like Nick Bear and Cameron Haynes and um, oh, I forgot the guy, Ryan something. He lives out in... Um, uh, is it Ryan Hall? Yeah, Ryan yeah. Hall. Dude, that guy's a beast, right? Dude. He's like the Olympic... He's the American record holder, I think, yeah. in the marathon or the half. and. Yep. And now he is just like a freak, you know, huge, huge dude. And he's still, you know, running and I mean, massive engine. So anyway, um, those guys, I, that was like super inspiring. And I was like, yeah, I want to dive into this. So I started doing that. And, um, at that point it was all motivation. And then I think slowly, but surely I realized that like that motivation just like waxes and wanes dude and you know one one week you're feeling like you're on top of the world and you've got all this motivation you got you know dave goggins in the back of your mind like carry the boats and you're just (laughs) out there running 100 miles and then the next week you're just like oh i'm not motivated man work's picking up and all this stuff's going on in my life so i'm running less and i'm taking care of myself less i shifted because i realized that that was happening so much right um that i really shifted to just really trying to be disciplined and making it part of my, you know, my routine, uh, my weekly routine. And um, I sit down on Sunday nights and I kind of map out my week. I plan my training schedule. I plan my work schedule around my training schedule. Um, And I've I've like adapted a lot of that stuff over the past couple of years. It was not like that before. Um, But when I started doing that and really just focusing on the discipline aspect and like just making it part of my daily routine, I don't rely on motivation anymore. Now it's just consistency yeah. and discipline. That's huge. No, That's interesting. You structure your work schedule around your training schedule yeah, rather you, than, I think most people do the opposite. I, well, it used to not be that way. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I started realizing that I was not, I don't know a good way to explain this. I, I just realized that I was putting my physical health, my emotional health, my mental health on the back burner as we were growing our business and uh, my business partner, Alex and I own an anesthesia group. And as we started to like build and develop the group, my work schedule got busier and busier. And the first thing to go, what's always the first thing to go, I get busy. I'm not going to work out today. I get busy. I'm not going to run today. I get busy. I'm not going to meditate today. I get busy. I'm not going to spend time with my wife or go to happy hour with friends or like, you know, do things that are for me. And I started neglecting all of that and just putting work, 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 work. And um, when I started, when I was doing that, I was actually performing, I felt like at a lower level in the business and in my day-to-day stuff at work. And I think my wife, um, she runs her own business and she works with caregivers and uh, does a lot of training for people living with dementia and Alzheimer's. And she consults with facilities and all that stuff. And um, she also preaches like every every day to to all of her clients that you have to be able to take care of yourself before you can fully take care yeah. of somebody else, right? It's that whole idea of the oxygen mask, right? You know, put the oxygen mask on yourself first so that you can maintain your oxygen and then put it on your kid next to you, right? So when I started filling up my own cup first, I realized that I had so much more to fill and to give back to the business, to my other relationships, to, you know, friends, to family, to all these other people. And for me, that started off with carving that time out on purpose for myself with my workouts, with my, you know, my me time, and then filling in work outside of that. And people will, you know, I I can 
see people like listening to this right now going rolling their eyes be like well, it must be nice <laughs> of like, course you don't have to go to work at a certain time like well, that just means that i wake up earlier right and sometimes yeah. i've got to be in the operating room at 6 30 6 in the morning right and when that happens i will wake up at 4 30 and i'll get a run in in the morning or i'll get a quick lift in or i might just stretch or i might skip everything all together in the morning but i make sure i prioritize it at the end of the day and i block that hour of time for myself to either lift or run or stretch or whatever i end up doing yeah it's all about your priorities like what, what are you putting at the top of your list you got to get done every day it's like if fitness and your health isn't at the top it's like it's not going to happen it's like because it's, it's so easy to make excuses when those things pop up of like oh i gotta work overtime or i gotta take my kids to this or whatever it's yeah i, I mean I, I completely agree and and that whole that whole idea of like must be not well must be nice jeremy yeah. you're you you know you're a fitness influencer you you've got all these like you know yeah. all you do is run right that's your job it's like well no that's not all you do you're running your own business you're doing your own things like you you do have to make time for it, but you prioritize your health, your fitness, your running, and your training, and you put that into a box, right? And then outside of that box, you know, you you fill in the rest. Right. Um, and uh, you know, I think everybody's probably heard the you know the story of the professor that gets up in front of the class and they you know they put all the they have the sand in like all the rocks that they put in the, yeah. the jar, right? It's like, well, if you're not putting those rocks or the blocks in first and taking care of that, the sand won't fit, right? So, you know, that I've 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 really shifted my mindset to that over probably the past six months to a year. I've I've seen a lot more benefit. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, you haven't always been a, a self-employed I have not. business owner. No, nah, man, no. Um I uh I was I, I got out of my anesthesia training in 2015 and from 2015 up until the start of 2021, um, or until, you know, December of 2020, I worked for other people. I had W2 jobs. Um, I worked for big groups. I worked for small groups. I worked for a single, you know, business owner. Um, so yeah, kind of got to see a little bit of everything. What, uh, what made you want to study anesthesia, like take that path to anesthesia? I don't know. Is that the, is that, yeah, a, is no, that no. a degree or what? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I'll, I'll give you a kind of a full breakdown. So I'm a certified registered nurse anesthetist at, or a CRNA as, uh, as people like to refer to it. Cause that's a lot easier to say. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the second question I always get is, well, what's the difference between that and an anesthesiologist? And really we basically took two different paths to get to a very similar endpoint. Mm -hmm. We provide clinical anesthesia at the bedside every day. That's what CRNAs do, right? So um, we provide anesthesia services, uh, and I'm talking about just CRNAs in general, not our business. Um, we provide anesthesia services to patients. So um, anything that has to do with the anesthesia, whether that's a regional nerve block, whether that's sedation services, whether that's general anesthesia that people think about for, you know, they needed a... Um, to get their gallbladder out, right? Uh, have a laparoscopic cholecystectomy or their appendix taken out. You have to go all the way off to sleep. We put you to sleep. We place a breathing tube for that procedure. We make sure that you are asleep and unconscious the whole time. We're treating your pain, your hemodynamics. You're making sure that you are safe and, and monitoring your vital signs. Every breath you take, every breath that's delivered from the ventilator, all that stuff. And then at the end of the procedure, emerge you from the anesthetic, wake you back up and take you to the recovery room and then discharge you out of our care to one of the nurses that's in the recovery room. Dang, what made you want to go down this path? Did so, you have any like inspirations? Or yeah. What? So, you know, my, um, my parents both, you know, like I think a lot of people my age, um, 
they their parents a lot that that at least I've run into their main thing was like you got to have a profession right you got to yeah. be a doctor a lawyer professor you know something like that and uh that's what my parents like always preached when I was growing up everybody around us you know like you got to be a doctor got to be a lawyer Travis you should be a lawyer Travis whatever so um you know I I had that like always in the back of my mind, my grandmother was a nurse and uh, she's a badass. She's still, she's still kicking. She's 89. Damn. She just gave up her nursing license literally like 10 years ago. That's she was crazy. working like one day every two months at this <laughs> nursing home, uh, kind of like helping out um, at, awesome. at the very end of her career. But she's awesome. Um, and she's been a huge inspiration in my life and really was the one that kind of like opened my eyes. Like nursing's a great opportunity to kind of scratch that itch, get a good, um, you know, get a good job out of school and that'd be something I could do. So when I was a senior in high school, I worked like all through high school and, um, and always liked having like my own spending money and like being able to work and, and, and do stuff. So, um, my mom, my, one of my best friends, mom worked for Austin anesthesiology group at the time. She was the scheduler for the entire, you know, entire business. And, uh, I told her, I was like, yeah, I'd really like to get a job, like turning over ORs or helping out in one of the surgery centers around Austin. So ended up working at this place called North Austin Surgery Center. It's still there today when I was 18. And I did it for, uh, I think, four or five months. I worked there the entire summer before I left for LSU, um, where I went to undergrad. And uh, by my time that I was, by the time I was done, I just kept gravitating to the head of the, the surgery uh, table and the head we call that the head of the bed and that's where uh anesthesia sits and we monitor the patient we put them to sleep and everything i kind of kept like gravitating up there i was like not real interested in the surgery stuff they'd be like oh travis i'm cutting this patient open i'm dissecting I'm like ah dude i don't care and i'm like man this is fascinating i'm watching somebody draw up 20 cc's of medication inject it into somebody's veins they go all the way to sleep they're able to like manipulate their airway breathe for them during the case this is so cool. Like I, I, I mean, this is like magic, right? Yeah. So I, uh, I became fixated on that and you know, I, they earn a good living and a lot of them said, dude, you should definitely go the CRNA route. It's fantastic. So I got into, um, LSU and I knew immediately and like from the get go, I was just like, all right, this, I want to be a CRNA. So I kind of took the fast track to, uh, to get there. I, I got my undergrad in my, uh, my BSN or my bachelor of science in nursing from LSU, um, moved to LSU's health science campus to finish out my nursing degree from downtown Baton Rouge can or the Baton Rouge campus to downtown New Orleans, um, ended up meeting my wife. Um, she was getting started at her, um, uh, for her master's degree in occupational therapy when, is it, when I was in my last semester of nursing school. So Dude. we ended up meeting uh, there and then, um, yeah, the rest That's is history. Awesome. Did, I, I think I saw someone on your website. Did you do some schooling at Duke too? Or is that yeah. a different thing? Yeah, no, that was, uh, so that was where I did all my anesthesia stuff. So to be oh, a CRNA, okay. you have to get a four-year BSN or a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. And then um, you have to work at least two years in ICU or some type of uh, intensive okay. care um, where you are working as a nurse, delivering bedside nursing to to critically ill patients, right? And in that time, you're kind of, you're learning how to think critically and how to take care of these sick, sick patients with multiple comorbidities and multiple complex pathophysiologies. And you are 
developing the skill set that you don't come out of nursing school with. And uh, you're getting to know vasoactive medications and like all these different things and uh, what what patients look like when they're coming back from these surgeries and stuff, right? So you develop that. And in the meantime, you're, you're applying to anesthesia schools. So at that time, I was applying to anesthesia schools. I'm working in ICU. And I get into Duke and uh, Duke's anesthesia training program. Um, now everything is a three-year degree um, afterwards for uh, for nurse anesthesia. Mm-hmm. So got into um, to Duke's program. At the time, it was 28 months continuous. Now I believe it's 36 months uh-huh. and you finish with a doctorate. I just have a master's in, uh, in nursing. Um, Sheesh. Yes. How many years of school total is that? It, it's between kind of eight and 10. Um, Damn, and if cool. you, you know... And I'm counting those two-year minimum that you have to work in ICU. Um, so four years of undergrad, two years minimum to work after that, and then a three-year um, anesthesia residency program that you're doing. And during that time, you are literally just doing clinical anesthesia for three years straight. Damn. What does that mean? Um, like you are going in and providing anesthesia mm-hmm. services for these patients, okay. and you're doing it with a preceptor or a clinical director or somebody looking over your shoulder, like helping you, making sure it's just like a residency program. Yeah, dang. Yeah, that's a lot of school. So, how old were you when you uh, finally got done with it with everything? Twenty six. That's and not too bad, I guess. Like no. You start when you're. 18, 19. Yeah, started with yeah. when I was 18 and uh, finished when I was 26 and immediately started. Um, uh, I, I left there and it's funny. My, so my wife's from New Orleans, right? And she has never been in a cold climate ever. <laughs> and uh, she had never lived outside of New Orleans or Baton Rouge. So she finishes her grad school. By the time that I finished um, my, my actual work experience as a nurse before we went up to um, Duke, and before we left, I was like, all right, well, you're coming with me. Like, so we get engaged and I bring her with me up to, uh, up to Duke, up to Durham, North Carolina, furthest away she'd ever live from home, furthest away I'd ever live from home. And, uh, she is like, this is the coldest place I've ever been. <laughs> and I remember like the, the second or the third year that we were there, Durham had like one of the coldest winters on record. I mean, there was a week it didn't get above like 20 degrees. And she she just like looks me dead in the eye and she was like, I want to go to the hottest place on earth. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah. She's like, I cannot do this cold weather. It's oh not gosh. working. So we ended up moving to Scottsdale, Arizona <laughs> right after. And uh, I went out there and worked for a, um, a medium-sized anesthesia group, um, met probably – you know, the best collective group of anesthesia providers I had ever worked around, like even outside of my training at Duke and everything, it was just like, or even including my training at Duke and everything. It's just like every person in this group, um, anesthesiologist or CRNA, they were just at the top of their game, dude. And everyone was expected to be at the highest level. Um, my mentor is, uh, one of the anesthesiologists that I actually met when I first started working there. And it was just, uh, it, it was a great place, man. Um, it was really hard work. It definitely took some years off my life. <laughs> I was averaging like 75 to 80 hours a week. I was Holy taking call shit. every other weekend and I was doing these crazy sick old patients out in, uh, the, the West side, Northwest Valley in, uh, in Arizona. And we, um, it, it was awesome, but I, I came out of that experience with really good, really good experience. And I, I came out with a great resume and a really good skill set. And 
moved back to Austin and uh, kind of rest history. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, it's it a cool story. I love that. Yeah, it was awesome, man. Um, it was, uh, it, it was. I, I can't say enough good things about the experience. What, what's so funny is, you know, we when I was working in Arizona, all I was thinking about was like, oh, I got to get out of here, man. Like I'm working 80 hours a week. Like this is killing me. But when I was actually there doing cases and they're working, it's like I loved it, dude. I couldn't get enough. Like it was so challenging. It was so new. I was learning how to do these like big cases, sickest patients, like and I could just do everything myself. And I was just like, this is awesome. Like, this is exactly what I was like meant to do. And I felt really good about the work I was doing. I just had no work-life balance. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like you're, the, you're somebody who like thrives on challenging times and like under pressure, basically. I feel like anesthesia as like a career is a very like it's a high pressure situation all the time i feel like for sure i uh i always tell people and like i think a lot of other people probably say the same thing that i do that are in anesthesia it's 99 percent chill one percent is just sheer terror like and it's <laughs> also like an airline pilot or it, something it, it, like, it is a hundred percent analogous to flying a plane right uh the most dangerous part of flying a plane is taking off and the landing yeah. right and the most dangerous parts in anesthesia are inducing anesthesia and waking a patient up right so if you're thinking about you know we do the same kind of pre-flight checklist um we prepare for all these emergency scenarios just like a pilot would like what happens if the engine goes out what happens if your, your landing gear doesn't come down we train the exact same way what happens if the patient has a bronchospasm what what happens if the patient has an allergic reaction what happens if they have a you know xyz so you know it, it's a lot of that and i um I always think about that saying, like, you don't, um, oh, what is it? You don't um, rise to the level of your expectations. You fall to the level of your training, right? Yeah. And I think when you are when you have good training and you put in the reps and you put in the work, like, that, that background knowledge is there. And when those oh shit moments and those situations arise, you just go back to it, dude. And it's, it's wild. You just fall into this zone of, like, okay, next thing I need to do, next thing I need to do. And all of a sudden, you're like, you know, you're coding somebody in the elevator that, you know, arrested and you're just not freaked out. You're Dang. just doing what you're trained to do. It's uh, it's neat. Have you had some like real high intense situations where <laughs> like a normal person would probably like have a panic attack or like kind of shut down and just like not be able to respond? I think, I mean, a normal person, sure. But like anybody in anesthesia, like that's what they prepare for, right? Yeah. And that's part of the reason that that training is, you know, you know, for CRNAs and anesthesiologists, like, you know, that's why that training is so long and so intense. It's to make sure it's just like being in the special forces, right? Like those guys are so dialed in that when something, when shit hits the fan, they flip a switch and they just go into autopilot and they just take care of business. And I think that's what anesthesia creates, right? And and that's what that anesthesia training sets you up for. Yeah. What is like a, a typical, I don't have to go through the whole thing, but like the procedure of like, okay, somebody comes in for surgery and yeah. they're going under anesthesia. What, is that, what does that look like? 
So, you know, first thing, let's say you're the patient, right? And you come in and uh, we'll make it easy. Like you're having, you know, elective surgery. You're getting calf implants. So um, <laughs> I need them. Exactly. So, <laughs> make me run faster. So, right. So you come in and uh, I come to see you. First thing we're going to do is like, you know, a quick questionnaire, make sure that I'm doing an H&P or history and physical on you. Um, basically a head to toe assessment, ask you about your health history, meds you take, all that stuff, last time you ate and everything like that. Then um, from there, you pass, you know, you pass everything that we need to your pre-flight checklist, basically, to make sure that you can board the plane. Um, we get into the operating room. On the way to the operating room, might give you a little bit of medication just to ease your anxiety. It's like fast-acting IV Xanax, if you will, but it's quicker on, quicker off. Mm -hmm. um, take you to the OR have you scoot yourself over onto the operating room table at that point you've already got an iv in place that iv is dripping some kind of like normal saline or balanced salt water solution um, and at that point we start giving induction medications or medications to induce anesthesia so that is like the plane taking off right so once we start giving the giving you that medication have you breathe oxygen to a mask through a mask to be able to fill up your basically your reservoir of oxygen on uh, on board, um, and we want you to have as much oxygen in your lungs as possible because I'm about to put you all the way to sleep and make you apneic or make you not breathe. Right. Mm. So uh, upon that happening, you go completely to sleep. At that time, I also administer a temp, uh, like a short acting paralytic, um, and that will allow me to place a breathing tube in between your vocal cords down into the start of your trachea um, and be able to breathe for you through the procedure. So um, that goes in and uh, we, we got a little fly friend that, uh, that just joined us. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, that's that's basically the, the takeoff phase. And then at that point, switch you over to a volatile gas anesthetic. To this fly. To this fly is, is going distracting. wild. Um, Need Magoo to come eat him or something. <laughs> Oh man, how cool would it be if I Mr. Miyagi did right here, just <laughs> on like on camera? Sticks. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so then once we have you, you know, one quick the, question before yeah, you go too far: yeah, yeah. Is there going back to like the analogy of an airline pilot or, or like a flight? Is there two people, like two anesthesiologists, or just one? Just one. Really? Yeah. So um, some people, you know, it depends kind of on the practice model. The way that we run our business and the way that is. I believe the most efficient and the best way to do anesthesia is to have one person carrying out the anesthetic just to reduce cost. And it is yeah. just as safe as having two people there, um, in my opinion. So um, one person uh, is, to answer your question, I guess, yeah. one person. So um, that happens. You go to sleep. Once you are completely asleep, we put in what's called a, a laryngoscope. And that is like, um, kind of looks like a right angle we slide there's a blade end of it and it's like not sharp but it's like a long um metal piece that goes on your tongue and it helps us elevate your jaw or suspend your airway so that we can see down in between your vocal cords into your trachea right so once we see those vocal cords we're able to place the breathing tube down in between them and it sits right there now that's the placeholder it secures your airway there's a tiny little balloon on the other side of the vocal cords that gets inflated. That way, if you passively regurgitate any stomach contents, they don't go down into your airway mm -hmm. after you after we've made you asleep or put you to sleep and allowed you to not be able to protect your airway with your normal airway reflexes. So um, upon that happening, we switch you over to a gas anesthetic. Now it's just the maintenance. Now we're at like autopilot. We're at cruising altitude. You are asleep 
the ventilator is breathing for you the whole time or you're breathing for yourself. Kind of depends. That's like a little bit more nuanced, but um, ventilator is breathing for you throughout the case. Um, at that point, the, the medications that we give to induce, they don't stop pain and we still have to treat patients pain, right? Because the patients are the only thing that the anesthetic agent does is really, you know, make you amnestic, make you not aware of what's going on, make you lose consciousness. So do you know what like the reaction is or like what molecules are like, I don't know the right terminology, but yeah. like what, what is actually happening that caused you to fall asleep? Yeah. Yes. And no, I can get into it. It's going to be, it's going to get pretty in the weeds. Let's go but, full like Huberman. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm Huberman, but, uh, but so, uh, those drugs that we use, one is gabamimetic. Um, think about kind of the same thing or the same pathway that alcohol works on slightly different way i'm trying to draw like uh some comparisons for your audience because they for me yeah, and, for, and for you <laughs> my monkey brain uh, yeah. needs to so, understand this so you know something similar to how um alcohol is working um but much stronger and the drug i'm talking about is actually propofol so um you you activate that channel and that renders unconsciousness that renders no memory formation it decrease i mean it eliminates awareness right so um but it doesn't do anything to produce analgesia or uh anti-nociceptive properties or anti-pain right the the idea of pain is called nociception that feeling of pain or experiencing pain so the way we do that is by administering narcotics or non-narcotic medications that are analgesics or that are you know uh, pain preventing medications. So even though the anesthesia makes you not aware of anything, you still have to have that that anti pain. Exactly. In there. Yep. Is there like uh, kind of like, is no. there physical reactions that people's bodies can have? For like, sure. Yeah. So their brains aren't aware. Yeah. If the if the patients are not deeply anesthetized enough, they can't flinch. They can't move. Mm -hmm. The that is super super rare, and we take all the we we mitigate those risks by either making sure that the patient is deep enough or deeply anesthetized enough to not move. Or we can give a paralytic, which is like a short acting uh, muscle paralyzer that, that works while you're asleep um, for an, under anesthesia. So, uh, but we still have to treat the patient's pain. We still have to treat the patient's blood pressure, heart rate. That's what we're monitoring, you know, beat to beat, breath to breath. Um, so people are always like, so once you put me to sleep, do you just leave? I'm like, <laughs> no, like, I mean, I, I still, I still got to fly the plane, yeah. man. Like we got to make sure that, uh, that something doesn't Take a quick happen. Nap. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause emergencies pop up. I mean, yeah. that, that is real. Um, it's not very common, but I mean, patients like middle of case for seemingly no, no reason at all become profoundly bradycardic to where we either have to start CPR or I have to Jeez. give medications IV. So we're always looking, we're always treating the patient's blood pressure. We're anticipating things. We have to know where we're at in the surgery. Uh, hey, I know that the next part of the surgery is going to be extremely painful. I need to go ahead and give this amount of fentanyl or Dilaudid or an opioid um, to make sure the patient is not going to experience pain when they make incision or change to the next portion of the procedure. So you kind of have to know a little bit of everything, what's going on in the room. Um, one thing that's kind of cool about anesthesia in general is like, there's a million ways to skin a cat, dude. There's to do the same type of procedure in anesthesia. You could, you could do, I mean, you could do 15 different variations of an anesthetic oh, wow. and all of them be you right. They're just have to do with what the patient needed, right? The, you know, we can do nerve blocks and pick off certain nerves that innervate 
somebody's entire arm. So, you know, with one, with a shoulder procedure, we could do an injection in their neck and block pain to that shoulder. So you could do that, that patient's surgery. You could do it completely with the patient awake and fully aware, but their entire shoulder would just be numb. You could also do it like the dentist almost like where they numb exactly like one yeah side so of your mouth so the the medication that they're using mm-hmm. is a local anesthetic and those local anesthetics they block the conduction of neural activity through you know so to that area into your brain right so the efferent and the afferent you know um, uh, delivery of that message on that neuronal you know pathway right mm. so we're blocking that at a certain point we can use an ultrasound and then with that ultrasound i can go in and i can deposit that local anesthetic and it bathes those nerves and basically stops that conduction temporarily for like 12 to 72 hours it's cool i could tell you're so passionate about yeah this. it's cool yeah <laughs> i i, I, I cool. really like it and i mean it's so funny like i, I mean i nerd out to this shit like you know all my colleagues do too. Like, oh, dude, the other day I did this crazy case, and they're like, rah, rah, rah. it's like we can't even have like a regular like get together and like go yeah. out for happy hour beers without people talking about work and cases and crazy stuff. So that's so funny. I love it. Though. I mean, I feel like that's how you know you found your your calling for sure. Yeah, no, I I really I, I love doing clinical anesthesia. Yeah. I feel like I'm good at it, and I, I feel like I got great training. And one thing that I really like within the business is that ability to kind of pass on things that I've learned that have worked well for me and instill those into our business and some of our business practices and our teachings to, you know, new uh, CRNAs or anesthesiologists that that join our team. Dang. So you... um, Worked for the this like medium sized group in yep. Scottsdale, right? Yep. And then you came to Austin after that, right? Moved back to Austin for six months. Here, I worked for a big group, uh, a national group. I mean, they do. I mean, they're huge. Um, and uh, that just wasn't the practice for me. I felt like I was going to Walmart every day, mm-hmm. right? I felt like I was employee number six thousand eighty four, yeah. right? Just a cog, cog in the wheel, dude. Yeah. And uh, I also, I, I just did not appreciate the practice model at that, uh, at that practice. Um, they use a, what I feel is a, is an antiquated model. They have the anesthesiologist medically directing the CRNA. So you gotta come, you gotta call them to put the patient to sleep. Anesthesiologist has to come in the room, watch you put one, put someone to sleep. That's what I was alluding to earlier. It's like, that is like the least efficient way to do anesthesia. Cause now you're paying two people to do the job of one. Yeah. And, um, I just didn't feel like it was it was great practice model. The practice model that I worked in in Arizona is actually the practice model that we use oh, within nice. our business. And it, it's it is just completely independent. Everybody does their own cases. The anesthesiologists do their own cases, CRNAs do their own cases. We were all there to back each other up. We all realized that we we got to the very very similar endpoint just going two different ways and it's very collegial and it's uh what I feel like is the best method and the best way forward for for anesthesia care it's a lot less costly for hospitals and surgery centers too is that experience with that like bigger company what ultimately made you be like i'm i'm I'm, i gotta start my own thing i gotta do my own business Uh, a little bit you know that started planting the seeds of like i don't like this like there's there's got to be something better out there and then uh a friend hit me up and said hey you know there's uh somebody real small group um here in Austin that, um, you know, not even group, you know, there's surgery center that, um, is looking for CRNA to come work and do independent cases and all stuff. Great. Great. That's right up my alley. 
So I did that and I started working uh, within that group and uh, or within that uh, surgery center. And I just, I, I learned a lot about how I, I had very differing management style and um, leadership ideas and ideas about how business should be run than my boss at the time. And that at the time I felt like was so painful and it was just so frustrating and I hated it. And now I look back and that was probably one of the best lessons I ever got. Mm. It was like getting an MBA in how not to run a business or how I didn't want to run a business if I ever had my own. And I just saw all of these things that I didn't agree with. And, um, and, and I think a lot of that was like personality driven and management, um, decision driven. And when I ultimately, you know, decided with my business partner, we kind of sat down and we're like, dude, like, let's, there's a better way to do this. Like, let's do it. So we sat down and we learned everything we could about anesthesia management and anesthesia running a group and what a business would actually look like. And it was just, you know, a lot of things fell into place, got lucky a lot. I think it's interesting, the like more you prepare and the, the better you uh, you get at things, like you yeah. tend to just get lucky more often. So um, yeah, that was, uh, that was what kicked us That's off. That's cool. Yeah. That like reverse role model idea, I think is, I think it's more powerful in a lot of ways, like you said, than like having a really good role model or like a really good boss or it could be like a parent or something who, you know, they make you feel like shit or some friend and it's like, that sucked. I don't ever want to have to experience that again. So it's like, it's almost more powerful, I think, to have that that like bad experience in some ways couldn't completely agree i mean and that a lot of that has guided you know how we've run the business decisions that i've made within the business the way that i i try to you know the way that i'm talking to people and talking with people within our organization try to make things like much more positive much more system dependent rather than person dependent um you know one thing that and i saw this at all the places that i worked um before starting our own group, they always used to make fun of me at the surgery center that I worked at because I would I would always be like, "What is the system for this?" Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a system in place. And one thing that I realized was like, you know, businesses are built on systems. And when I worked for all these other groups, there was a lot of finger pointing and like, oh, "Jeremy didn't do this. Oh, Jeremy's a bad apple. Jeremy's got a shitty work ethic." Instead, it was like, no. Jeremy didn't know what to do in that situation because there was a bad system in place. Mm. It was a system failure. Ultimately, that's the business's job to make sure Jeremy doesn't fail at that or slide through the cracks or forget or omit something. It's important that the system's there to back Jeremy up. So Jeremy doesn't have to think about it. Jeremy didn't own the business. Jeremy should be able to go there, work, do his job, close his laptop at the end of the day and go home to his family, right? So um, that that's one thing that Alex and I have really tried to do is like create a system-based business. I love that. Where did yeah. that idea come from originally? Like, was it like a podcast or a book you read or was it just something you guys uh, found on your own? I think it was like a, a summation of everything, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that I, the first like kind of self-help guru book that I ever read was uh, Tim Ferriss' 4-Hour Workweek. Oh, yeah. And he implements a ton of systems in that book. And then I started reading more business development books and I started realizing like all these guys had one thing in common. They had, you know, they had like system 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, like as the business got bigger and they started doing more things, they had a system for everything. And I feel like it's just 
I, I cannot stand when people point a finger directly at a employee or staff member when I have this really hard time believing that people just show up to work and they're like, you know what? I want to do a shitty job today. I'm going to not do what I'm supposed to do. I think people get people are, should not have to self-govern themselves and 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 create, you know, their own system to work within at work. Like that should be provided for them yeah. within the architecture of the business in my opinion. So if there is a problem, I think the owners and the operators like need to take responsibility for figuring out what the system problem is that allowed that thing to happen. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I feel like that's what makes a business last through time too because it's like people are going to cycle in and out you're going to have turnover with employees and stuff but if you can sub in another person but that system is still in place it's like it doesn't matter who's really doing the job like some people might do it better or worse but as long as that system is there it's like anybody could do it really right for for sure and 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 that's not to take away anything from the people that are there right and and i think that's like the most because like when I had that, those thoughts originally, my, my first thought was, well, we should be able to just sub in anybody. Like the system should take care of itself. Like I, I've kind of, there should be this happy medium of like the system is that baseline support that people need, but then we should be hiring such good people that we are showcasing their talents and allowing them to excel within that system. Right? So as long as the system is there as that background, like, okay, you're just going to keep hitting this minimum if they're just relying on the system, but then they should be operating up here because we're hiring such good people. And, And that's, Luckily, that's that's where we've gotten to with the business, and we just have stellar, you know, staff. It's that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you sub me in there, I would. I'd, I'd make the whole business. Problem. I don't know what the hell I do. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's they're, a good way of explaining. They're it. all licensed, licensed <laughs> yeah. professionals. Um, but I, uh, you know, one book that actually like really changed my thinking on that completely was this book called Built to Sell. If anybody yeah. is thinking of starting a business, I, I think I've recommended it, yeah, on, I need to read it. on a run. Um, last time we ran, but you know, if anybody started a business, you shouldn't, I don't think you should ever start a business looking to sell a business, but this book provides really good frameworks and it's written in like a a narrative story format. It's only like a hundred pages, the easiest read on earth, but it's about this guy that has an architecture or uh, um, I'm sorry, an advertising firm in the advertising firm. The guy was just running it like a solopreneur. And he was just telling everybody like, Hey, you know, uh, Jackie, why didn't you get back to me about those, uh, quote or the, the estimates or the, you know, proposal you sent out and Bob, why didn't you do this? Well, it's cause like he didn't have any systems in place and he was running the business. Like he was just expecting everybody to do what he was doing. And it was just such a good, like mental model for how to like think about working in systems and creating a scalable business because ultimately in my mind like if you're creating a business that is built to sell quote unquote not even looking to sell it that means that it has scalability built into it right right? because nobody can go buy a business that is a hundred percent dependent on jeremy they can only buy a business that can live without Jeremy right. or else they're buying you and the business together, right? So that was a, that was a really cool way of kind of like shifting my thinking and, uh, and making it less dependent on Travis and more dependent on celebrity anesthesia to like be the backbone for, for our guys. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I got to read that book. It sounds oh, it's, so... Dude, it's awesome. You, know, you dude, would dig it. Yeah, because it's... Um, I mean, I've kind of had to 
from in my personal stuff is like like one-on-one coaching is a good example of like it's not scalable because it's it relies solely on me and like the knowledge of my brain to pass on to other people but you can turn that into a scalable business if you wanted 100 because it's like you can build out coaches or systems or whatever um yeah i feel like any business like it could start as a solopreneur type of endeavor yep uh i don't know like just because this is my other experience is like doing like freelance photo and video that's like it's me going out and doing it but you can build in systems where you can hire other people, build out. Ah, oh, it's all these systems. It's all, it's clicking for me. It's now. all coming together. It makes perfect yeah. sense. No, uh, you're, you're exactly right. And yeah. like, I would say probably 99% of businesses start as a solopreneur, like, right. Or a, a small partnership. Right. And then grow into something. Well, like what changed between, and, and like these, these businesses all have this limiting factor, right? Like outside of like when you can, do everything yourself, you hit that first hang up in a business. It's like, okay, Jeremy can now package and fulfill all the orders himself. But then all of a sudden, what happens when you've got 15,000 orders in a month? Well, now you've got to build out scale, you've got to hire people, you've got to be able to have a, you know, uh, a written document that says this is how we, we, you know, um, package and send out every single order that comes in. This is how, this is the note we put in there. This is the, these are the stickers we put in whatever. Right. So then now that's a system and now that system can be implemented by other people besides you. So I think that's like, that is the real hang up in businesses going from that. Like that's the first step. Right. And then after that first step, I think it just gets, it just gets, uh, progressively more of a load as you, (laughs) as you start to scale. What was the the hardest part of like going from okay you're working hands-on as a w2 employee to then making the jump to starting your own business what was the hardest part of that oh dude um (laughs) sure there's a lot (laughs) uh i mean i i i don't even know where to start there were um one thing that i don't think people realize or um or isn't as like well publicized is just the immense highs and lows that come with starting a business. I mean, it's just, I've never been on more of an, a mental and emotional roller coaster in my life. Like, I feel like I'm pretty self-aware. I'm pretty emotionally and mentally stable and strong. And still, I mean, I was just like up and down, which was nuts. Um, I think, you know, having to do without for a little while. And, uh, and this idea of like, I was talking to my business partner the other day about this, you know, uh, Alex and I were having a chat and I was like, you know, I think one thing that really separates people being able to do this versus people either not getting started or giving up quickly is the idea and the ability to defer gratification. Mm. And that is like, small business 101, right? You you get a business started, very few businesses are cash flow positive immediately, meaning like you are going to be like first month, you are just profiting and you have that profit there and you're actualizing right. it. Um, most businesses are negative cash flow businesses and especially at first. So, you know, we, you know, my partner and I both didn't take a paycheck for first 10 months of our business and we funneled out a or shoveled out a ton of our own funds to like get everything started and uh and get it going so i think you know i 
we were still able to eat. We were, and I was, I'm not, this is not a woe is me moment, but like really changing our lifestyle, sacrificing like the lifestyle that we got used to living. Like, I mean, we we're both making good money. We were, we had very stable jobs and you're, you just have to be able to like, keep going back and lean on your why. Why did we start this? Why am I doing this? What is my purpose here? And then really like leaning into that purpose and realizing like that, that's why you're really here. And that is why maybe you're here on earth. That's maybe why you're serving, you're hoping to serve like a bigger, bigger thing than you. And, um, and this was the vehicle that like me and Alex were able to do that with. So I think we just leaned into that. Um, and I did not see that coming. I did not think that that would nearly break me, you know, 20 times in the first year. (laughs) And I'm just sitting there going, dude, what are we going to do next? Um, but you know, um, all of those things also really help to like teach lessons and teach us about running a business. And, you know, when you make a $35,000 mistake, you don't make that mistake again. (laughs) (laughs) And especially when in the beginning, like it's everything you have or whatever. Um, and we, we made a couple of those and that's just, that's part of running a business and that's figuring shit out and, and learning from your mistakes and, and just trying to grow. Dude, I feel like having that, that strong why is the, that's gotta be the only thing that gets you through some of those moments. Like from reading, I just read like Steve Jobs biography. Yeah. Have you read it? I haven't. Dude, it's so good. I'm like obsessed that. with Steve Jobs right now, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's so good. Cause it's like any business, like, I mean, Tesla is another good example. Like they've been almost bankrupt like nine times or something crazy. Yeah. Uh, and it's like the only businesses that really survive, every business is going to go through that, but the only ones that survive are the ones that can keep pushing through all those moments where it's like, if you don't have that strong enough why behind it, you're going to break and you're just going to throw the towel in and be like, ah, I'm, I'll try something else. For sure. I mean, dude, I mean, me and Alex bur- both burned through all of our savings when we were not paying ourselves so that we could live and pay our bills and all that stuff and still trying to like have a normal life and like enjoy anything, you know, here and there that we could and still like go out to eat with my wife and like, just like small stuff. Um, which at the time was like, dude, (laughs) we're getting close here. And, and just realizing too, that like, you know, when you start a business, everybody gets paid before you do. And if you're not committed to that, and if you are not okay with that, and your why doesn't support that, that's gonna be real hard for you to do. It's gonna be real hard for you to, you know, see that you've got, you know, $20,000 in the business bank account, and you've got $15,000 worth of payroll that has to come out, and you need to leave some cash in there for operating expenses. It's like, I'm not gonna get paid this month. And, and just understanding that, like, that's gonna happen. And, and that's very real. Um, So, you know, that that was a, that was a, Nice little learning lesson up front. <laughs> so uh, what year did you guys start? We started in January of 21. So this will be our oh, third. Yeah. This is our third year. And so 21, 22, and then this is the end of the third year. Of the so it's still relatively new. Yeah. So when you guys, so 10 months, so you start finally being able to pay yourself like towards the end of 2021. Yep. And and when I say, you know, pay ourselves, like we're, it, it's like, you know, a quarter to, you know, maybe less than what we should have been paid. It was yeah. just a couple thousand dollars here and there in a month. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it, it was a wake up call. It was, it was realizing like, dude, if we're, I just had to keep telling myself, I had to keep telling myself like, this is going to be worth it. 
you got to trust the process. You have to lean into this. And then, you know, there were a couple of times I would just be sitting upstairs, like about to go to sleep. My wife's sitting there too. And I'm just like, I don't know what we're going to do next. Like we're getting close on not being able to support payroll. It is, you know, we need this invoice to come in. Like we've got all these things like, dude, just the, the, the feeling and the pressure of that. When you realize that like you are paying people and that's how they're paying their mortgage and feeding their families. And it is on me to make sure that we're getting another contract and closing the next contract and going out and getting more business. It, it, it was a lot. It was a lot to say the least. And at that time, I was also, anytime I got busy, no running, <laughs> no workouts, yeah. like uh, grind, grind, grind. And, and I realized that like, that was not the best me showing up to solve yeah. those problems. And now I feel like I can go into things and I step in much clearer and with a lot more presence. And I think like, nobody's going to be able to start a business and do it perfectly and also have this like, you know, Zen, Wusaw life mindset 24 seven, right? I think that shit is impossible. Yeah. And that's great to aim for, but that's just not realistic. It's gonna be fucking hard. And people are going to be not happy with you. Sometimes you're going to make mistakes, you're going to make bad decisions. It's learning from that stuff. And it's realizing that like, this is just part of the process. And it will ultimately just galvanize you in the end, and make you stronger. Do you think, uh, all of those ups and downs and the hardships and all that shit. Is that, would you rather deal with that than like just living, you know, as like an employee for a big corporation and just like, it's probably a lot less stressful doing that as opposed to owning your own business. For sure. For yeah. sure. It, it is definitely a lot less stressful. Um, you know, uh, before I got started with everything, I was talking to one of my buddies who owns a big group out in Arizona, and they've been wildly successful over the past seven, eight years. His name is Joe Rodriguez. Look him up. Um, uh, maybe I'll tag him. Um, hey. So, um, so anyway, um, we, uh, you know, we're on the phone and we're talking. This was like maybe a year before I started the business, and I was telling him I was thinking about like maybe I should just start my own anesthesia group, and I remember him being like. I don't know if I'd recommend that, man. Like you're a lifestyle guy and you and your wife like to travel and have fun. You like to wakeboard, you like to run, you like to, you know, work out. I don't know if I see you doing that. And it, it always makes me laugh now because at that time I wasn't ready for it. And at that time it wouldn't have been a good situation for me, but now I would not trade it for anything. I don't think I could work for anybody else. And if I had to work for somebody else in anesthesia, I probably just wouldn't work in anesthesia anymore and I'd start my own business doing something completely, yeah. completely different. Do you, uh, do you work more now than you did when you were an employee? 100%. <laughs> yeah. Anybody that tells you like, and one thing I saw an interview with Tim Ferriss about the four hour work week, like, yeah. you know, several years ago and he was like, I just want to be clear. The four hour work week is the four hours of shit that I don't want to be doing for the business that has to be done. Yeah. It's like, I'm working a lot more than the four hours per week, but it's stuff that I like to do. It's stuff that's energy giving. It's stuff that is exciting me about this business. It's the creative development stuff that I like doing. So I don't think that's work. I was like, right. that is so true. Yeah. Like you're, you know, you're always, you're always on. Um, you know, we were talking on a run the other day and I was like, you know, it's like starting business kind of like having a baby. We don't, I don't, we don't have any kids, but um, from, all of our friends that do have kids, it's like, as soon as you have a kid, you can't just leave town for two months at a time and have somebody just watch the kid 24 seven, right? It's like, that kid has to, you know, eat, sleep, 
you know, go to the bathroom. It's got to be changed. Like you got to be there supervising and monitoring the kid. Like when you start a business, like you're plugged in, man. Like you are, there is no, there is no ski trip that year. There is no, you know, going to your friend's wedding in Cancun. Like that shit's off the docket. (laughs) Um, You're, you're, you're kind of in the zone. You're kind of in a cave. Like you're, you're getting the business done and you're, you're starting the architecture of it and you're, you're doing what needs to be done to, to make it run. Yeah, dude. I think that's the best analogy <laughs> to running a business. And I know your business is not even comfortable or like mine's not even comfortable to like what, what yours is, but like, it's just like having a kid. It's just, there's always something that needs attention for sure. Like it's, it's literally like a kid crying at 2am. That's like, and- there's, customer that needs service or there's uh, an employee or like some something that always has to be done for sure and before you start to like back yourself out of one of the wearing one of those hats you're wearing every hat so in the beginning you know if something happens with the baby and you're not home you better believe like you're getting a phone call immediately that phone call is coming directly to you so you know somebody you know gets stuck in the snow in michigan at one of our sites and it's 5 a.m they can't get to work Who's getting a call at 4 a.m., you know, when that's happening, 4 a.m. Central Time, in the beginning of the business, like, it's just me and Alex. Like, we're both getting calls at 4 a.m. Okay, now we've got to call three other people. Now we've got to call the facility. Now we've got to move cases around. Like, we're already doing stuff. And I might have to go be in the OR myself in two hours for cases here in Austin. So it was, uh, you know, it, it was a lot, but it taught us a lot about systematizing things. It taught us a lot about like building in, you know, insulation into protection, um, you know, across the board. Dude, I love that, man. It's, um, I feel like it's so fulfilling too. Cause it, you, I feel like you're, when you're, when you own a business, you're like, you have more purpose almost. It seems like for sure. Um, Cause you, I don't know, you're, you're feel like you're making a bigger impact not just on your own life and um like the customer or whoever it is but like if you have employees or it's just as a whole i feel like so much more fulfilling big time i mean look what you're doing with switchback it's like you know started with an idea and then all of a sudden you've got a product and then you're starting to develop community now you're you have a product to show for you know what you're doing you can give it to that community and your community is benefiting from you know, consuming the product. It's just like, it it is, it's so cool to see that all come to fruition. And then it's, it's cool. You as the creator of that, you're like, damn, like I, I, me and Brock like created this, like, this is dope. Like we, this was our brainchild and this is now happening and it's got a label and people are taking a scoop of this powder before they go run and it's helping them run. Like that is just, it's so cool. And that's why I love business in general. It's like, you can use your gifts and talents in a way that help people and do something bigger than you can just do on your own. And I don't know, just find it super fulfilling. I love that, dude. Uh, At what point did you feel like you could or needed to start like outsourcing things? (sighs) My wife would say I still need to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, you know, um, I think I I started reading another great book called, um, I think it, I think it was called the lazy CEO. Um, yeah, lazy CEO. There's also another book called the 80, 20 principle. Both of those speak very highly of delegation, delegation, automate everything that you can. Right. So, um, I'm not delegation does not come easy to me at all. I am a, Oh, I'll just take care of it. I'll just take care of it. I'll just do it. And what you realize is like that ultimately will be like what trips you up and, and puts too much, on your own 
plate yeah. and doesn't allow you to do the high leverage things that need to be done to make the business move forward. These are all like low leverage actions that could be delegated and automated. And a lot of CEOs or a lot of like operators, they're doing too much of that. And, you know, they're working they're working in the business rather than on the business. Yeah. And I realized probably six months ago that Alex and I needed to be working on the business rather than in the business. There's just there the the value that we bring within the business now is is too low compared to the value we bring on the business where we're working on structure operations, scale, right. you know, new contracts, business development, that kind of stuff that really makes the business grow into something bigger and better. That's cool. How, yeah. Uh, yeah, that delegation is hard because you're, especially when you've been doing it yourself for so long, like yeah. giving up that control yeah. oh, and dude. trusting that somebody else is going to do it the way you want it to be done. So that's one of the hardest things I feel like. One really cool thing that you might check out because, you know, a lot of your stuff is probably all online, right? Yeah. Or all at least on your computer. Um, I cannot remember the guy's name. It's going to really bug me. Um, maybe I can, I'll, I'll shoot it to you afterwards, but there was uh, a CEO and he owns the company level, um, which is like the, uh, the wearable continuous blood glucose oh, yeah, monitoring yeah, system. Yeah. They, his entire team, their whole business works asynchronously, right? So like he, no one is on the same meeting. They're all just communicating via loom and via text and via email, Dang. right? And they get everything done. He said when he goes to delegate to these um, uh, VAs and like, you know, executive assistants, what he'll do is he will just leave a loom on the whole time he's doing something. What is loom? Loom is this video recording software that screen records. Oh, oh so, I've used that. Okay. So it will yeah. record your face if you want, but it will yeah. also record everything that you're doing on, on the computer. So it's really neat because you can just do your workflow like normal and you could do it five times and you could have five, you know, <laughs> you can have five two-hour looms but if you export that to an ea or a va all of a sudden they could watch that at two or three x they can get done with that material very quickly they yeah. can see what your workflow and your patterns are just be like i want you to do these things send me back a message with you know, write out my workflow and what you would do. So now all of a sudden you just delegated and automated having to produce the workflow and create the system that you're going to, you know, have them step into. Yeah. You're asking them to create it by watching just you working. So now you don't have to spend any time doing that. You're just recording your normal workflow. Interesting. Yeah. Do you spend a lot of time? It sounds like you do like listening to podcasts and reading books and just learning different business tactics like this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, running has been my vehicle yeah. to do that, right? Uh, it it forces me into, you know, solitude and time by myself. Um, and during that time, I'll, I'll normally throw on an Audible, you know, audiobook. Um, if you're looking for a sponsorship, that might be a good one. Um, <laughs> Audible? Audible, hello. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Audible, um, audiobooks, and normally, you know, I'm – I'm listening to something uh, business yeah. related and then podcasts. I love Tim Ferriss and his entire yeah. platform. Uh, he is, I think he's done a really good job interviewing and kind of honing that craft. He's, he's a great interviewer. So nice. I like that. Yeah. I listened to his podcast a little bit after you've recommended it. Yeah. Um, I need to get back into those because I, I listened to several of them and they're so good. They're just super informative. He's a yep. great interviewer too. Yeah. And, and the people that he has on are just like people that, you know, they all kind of have something in common. Uh, they all are, you know, very high achievers. They're all, you know, 
in doing something cool, creative, new in business. And they're also typically, you know, athletes or they have some type of like workout or fitness regimen. It's like all those things kind of go hand in hand when you start to look at all these yeah. like high performing people. Yeah, I think the, the physical aspect is very common. Because like you said earlier, it allows you to like work on yourself first. Yep. And when you feel good mentally, physically, you can perform so much better. 100%. Yeah. 100% agree. I love that, dude. Um, I guess we can go into the... Uh, well, before that, I saw on your site you had something about like a non opioid pain management technique yeah so i know um, opioids are like such a buzzword now they, they are yeah so one thing that we do so before alex and i actually started celebrity so celebrity anesthesia is the name of our anesthesia this is, is another question too before we go to tune to this why celebrity anesthesia <laughs> so um Oddly enough, uh, another podcast. Uh, so I, I was on a podcast called Plastic Surgery Untold. Um, there is a physician here in Austin, plastic surgeon. He's unbelievable. He's awesome guy. One of my good buddies, Johnny Franco. Dr. Johnny Franco, what's up? Um, so uh, we started this podcast, I don't know, now probably four or five years ago. And we would basically podcast about all things plastic surgery trends that were emerging in the market, um, how I would always give like the anesthesia perspective on what we were doing, talk about like how these different cases could, we could do anesthesia for and whatever. Well, my wife at your dementia therapist, give her a, a, a checkout. Um, Mary, um, she actually, before she got into the dementia space, she had another account called your trendy therapist. She started this in 2000. 12 maybe kind of like before being a blogger or being an influencer was the thing when yeah. it was still called being a blogger yeah. and she had a blogger website and everything like that nice. and so she used to do like fatness uh, fatness fitness <laughs> fitness <laughs> fashion um travel and uh just document like our life right and it was awesome and that account you know grew and she amassed a little bit of a following and she loved it and it was cool because when we first moved back to austin we would get invited to everything like any new bar opening any new restaurant opening hotel stuff like every weekend we're like hey mary like you want to come plus one like whatever nice. so whenever we were on the podcast when i was on plastic surgery untold um it would always they would always call me celebrity husband because <laughs> I was just riding my wife's coattails <laughs> all around town. We were going to new restaurants and new cool shit all the time. So that became like the running joke on the show. And then that emerged or that that morphed into celebrity anesthesia. Mm. So Johnny Franco started calling me celebrity anesthesia. And I thought that was like the perfect name for yeah. an anesthesia company. So when it makes we, it feel like really high class. Yeah. Like, that was the the whole goal. I mean, and, and we treat every patient like they're a celebrity and, yeah. you know, being in the plastic space, people always, Oh, have you ever worked on a celebrity? My answer is simple. Like everybody's a celebrity to us. Like we literally just treat every patient the exact same and do the most for everybody. Um, and then back to your non-narcotic or yeah, non-opioid yeah, yeah. technique. Um, so, one thing that Alex and I both agreed on like wholeheartedly before we started the the business, he was working up in Chicago and I was working down here in Austin and we were both huge on using this technique um, that's employed by a lot of anesthesia providers around the country called ERAS and that's stands for early recovery after surgery. And it's about mitigating your use of opioids and sparing as many opioids as you can and using other techniques like non-narcotic pain medications um, like 
low doses of ketamine, um, uh, lidocaine infusions, magnesium, using steroids, um, not anabolic steroids, um, like <laughs> dexamethasone. Yeah, no, 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 no one's getting juiced <laughs> in the OR. Um, and, uh, and using drugs like, you know, Presidex and like all these other awesome drugs. If our medical people that are listening to this be like, oh, that's cool. Everybody else is just like, what are all those drugs? Um, so we, we use that alphabet soup basically on every single patient and try to reduce the amount of exposure that these patients are getting to opioid medications because opioids, you know, sometimes they're necessary and they are, they're necessary in most anesthetics to, to relieve or mitigate some pain, but you know, they come with nasty side effects and, um, not only, you know, the addiction stuff and and everything, um, like that, but, you know, just, they cause constipation. They, they make you feel really bad. Uh, patients just always tell me like, I feel really groggy and like, foggy when I have to take these narcotic pain medications. So um, we have, our, our practice is based around utilizing those techniques and doing as many nerve blocks as possible to block pain nice. without having to use those uh, opioids as much. Is that a common approach in it, that industry or is, are you guys kind of like an outlier in that? Yeah, I would, I would not say that it is a, the most common. I think a lot of anesthesia providers, especially like, you know, uh, newer providers, people that are more tuned into the research, they're focusing their attention on trying to be better, right? It's like, you know, it's kind of like marathon training or marathon prep. You know, you can run a marathon if you just do 10 weeks worth of training, you go hard on three days a week, you do two easy days and you get to the marathon, you may run the same as the person that did four training runs easy and one hard day a week and then got to the very end. The only difference is I think the guy that did four easy days and one hard day is going to be, it's going to end up being in better shape and have better durability for that race. Right. So you can do the same thing. I think one is optimal. Right. And that's like what we're doing. I was trying to relate it to our our running audience. (laughs) It makes perfect sense. Um, so, so I think, you know, you can get patients through, uh, an anesthetic by using a lot of opioids i just think there's a better less lazy way to do it just optimizing basically exactly yep dang do you have any um well before i ask that question i have so many questions it's it's so fascinating (laughs) um i know i think it's like i know the military does it and like police academies and stuff it's like they make everybody get tased they get maced because it's like no they did not make us sit around and give each other a bunch of ketamine oh i was, I was wondering about that no. I was like did, <laughs> no. you, did you have to have you ever been under anesthesia i have not actually really? yeah interesting i figured I that would be like a a prereq a prereq right? in school is <laughs> no. like you gotta go no. under i think i think that would be a hard thing to get the uh the universities to agree to like <laughs> okay uh but everybody here has to do uh propofol ketamine versus fentanyl no uh it, we do not, but we have to know everything inside and out yeah. about every drug that we give. So, right. you know, and it's, it's funny, like, oh, I have all these questions. It's like, anytime we're at a dinner party or something like, wait, don't you do anesthesia? Oh my God. My wife's best friend's girlfriend's brother's sister's mom had a problem after her spinal when she had, and I'm just like, oh my God. And then it just turns to like this question fest. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I don't know any other anesthesiolo- anesthesiologists. That's right. Yeah, yeah anesthesiologists okay. or, or nurse anesthetists. Yeah, okay. uh, there is it's easier, right? <laughs> um, dang. Do you have any um? Do you have any hot takes on like the the medical industry, like the health industry, without getting yourself in trouble? <laughs> yeah, without getting myself in trouble. Because um, I know it's just. I mean, my mom's a nurse, and it's. I feel like there's so many politics and a lot of stuff. I mean, I think even like COVID 
kind of open this whole oh, dude. can of worms into the the health industry of like there's a lot of corruption and stuff going on on the inside that most people probably didn't know about yeah um, um i mean i i don't have any i don't have any hot takes that are you know too out there i think there is a better way to do things than what's being done yeah. in most of the country and at most facilities. And I'm just speaking from like an anesthesia perspective at this point. Um, and we are trying to solve that problem by bringing an innovative approach to the way we schedule, the way we handle everything more than anything. And what our practice is founded on is placing providers first, mm. because like your mom, your mom's a nurse. She would probably fall into the camp of like, this place doesn't give a shit about me <laughs> and they are worried about making money more than they're worried about, right. you know, taking care of me and the patient. And we were trying to flip that on its head. Um, when we started the group, Alex and I were just like this, this anesthesia group is going to be for the providers and it is going to be about making the providers life and experience within our business as optimal as possible. Who would so, fall into the category of a provider, like a nurse uh, or something? Uh, or? CRNA okay. or an anesthesiologist. Okay. So our anesthesia providers, um, okay. those are the only two types of people that we even, you know, we even staff, right? right? So, um, or we have as working as a contractor with us. So, um, you know, by putting them first, like we wanted to make scheduling easy. We wanted to make, you know, their them giving us their availability easy. We we pay everybody weekly. That's a lot Dang. more work on our end, but it improves their home cash flow and it helps yeah. them because a lot of times when you're working um, 1099 or as a contractor, as a CRNA or an anesthesiologist, you're having to track down your payments. You're having to hit people up 10 times like, hey, I'm supposed to get paid. And now like, I mean, we pay everybody every Wednesday. They get wow. auto-drafted. And, cool. um, you know, we also try to like, really do good orientations with all these providers and like get them, you know, uh, the actual orientations that they need at these new sites that they go to instead of just like, here's the keys, you know, punch the door pad three, two, one, when you get there and enjoy your first day. It's like, no, we show up at the facility with them. One of our leadership team shows up, gets them oriented, introduces them to the surgeon. We're just trying to like white glove service everything. And, yeah. and again, just like always going back to how is this serving the provider? How is this serving our anesthesia provider? And every decision that we make as an entity, we always fall back to that because that's kind of our why. That's our like that's our um, north star. Like that's what's really guiding the entire practice. Dude, I love that. Yeah, man. And now, uh, what's your day to day look like now that you're not? Uh, and that, that grind of this, that first year of starting the business depends on the week. I feel like we're still in the grind. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it depends on the week. Some weeks I'm a little bit more clinical or in the OR, um, in the operating room than, um, than I am in the office. But my, my time is now, I'd say probably 80 to 90% of my time is spent outside of the OR working on the business, nice. working in the office, making sure that, you know, we've got tools in place. We're leveraging technology where we can. We're, you know, we're, we're doing a bunch of stuff to make the business run on the back end, um, hiring HR, like all the stuff that's not as glamorous, not as fun. Um, and then really like trying to create systems to like grow and educate our workforce and our providers and the different facilities that we work with, setting up meetings, making sure everything is going well, that kind of stuff. That's cool. How do you, uh, I know you've got a wife. You guys are married, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. You got a wife, you got two dogs, yep. you got friends, you got oh, yeah. fitness, you got a 
demanding job um, or demanding work? Like, how do you, uh, I know you kind of mentioned earlier, like you prioritize fitness and, and your personal stuff first, but like, how do you structure everything? Like, do you use like a calendar? Like, a, how do you, do you like time block? And there's a million different ways yeah. to do it. But. Um, funny you brought up time blocking. I actually just started really implementing time blocking, I guess, like maybe three weeks ago. And it has paid massive dividends. Like I'm finding all of this space within my day that before was not there. And I think it's because I was starting something and then I'm halfway through this email. And then all of a sudden I get called, Hey, this facility wants to add on a day, yada, yada, yada. Hey, this provider, we need their credentials emailed over. And like, I see an email come in. So I stop the email that I'm on and I go to that email and I'm like, Oh shit, no, I got to look this up. Like when does this person's stuff expire? Okay. Well now I got to call our administrator. Hey, why is this person? sort? And all of a sudden I just felt like I was getting pulled in a million different directions and I'm just putting out one fire after another. And when I started time blocking, now I don't go check those emails incessantly. I don't feel the need to like have my phone here constantly looking at every text that comes in. And I had to just realize, you know, there are certain emergencies that can pop up in this in this business. When those emergencies happen, people will contact me. Like yeah. I will get a phone call with that. We had to put the system in place like, hey, if there is ever an emergency, call this phone, call my phone directly. And that way I know, like if I'm getting a call from one of our providers or one of our managers, right. boom, I stop what I'm doing and I take it. If it's something else, it can wait until that time block pops up. And then I've got two hours to do calls, emails, and respond to all the things that I needed to. And now that's inside of a time block. And I'm not getting pulled all these different directions. Yeah. It allows me to like create space for like deep work and meaningful work instead of getting pulled in a million different directions. Yeah. I feel like if you're not intentional with oh. that kind of stuff, it can go downhill real fast. We, it, me and Alex always say like, you know, sometimes the tail is wagging you you got to get back in control and you got to wag the tail, right. right? And and I think it's it's about being, like you said, really intentional about that time and, and that space you're creating. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's like, the, I saw a meme of this the other day. It was like about having ADD or ADHD or something where it was like, this guy's light bulb went out. So he went into the garage to find a light bulb to replace it. But then when he was on his way to the garage, he like saw like the door handle was loose. <laughs> I was like, oh, I should get a screw and fix that real quick. Then he went to go find a screw to fix the doorknob. And then on his way there, he saw like the fridge was leaking. <laughs> it just like it was this like endless cycle of like if you don't like I don't even know. I guess the, what you did or what you just explained is like just time block, be intentional with your things. Like, yeah. We'll focus on one task. The other stuff can wait. Yep. Because otherwise, you're just you're never going to get anything done. You're like always half-assing all these things. One hundred percent. And when you're not spending a hundred of your a hundred percent of your time on that thing and attention and giving it your full presence, yeah. you're not really showing up for it. And um, I just finished the last book that I've read recently, which I think is the best business book I've ever read. It is called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And one thing that it talks about a lot is like being conscious, being present in the moment, giving that moment 100% of you know your time and attention and working on like high leverage things, right? So, you know, to me, that means giving that block a hundred percent of me, right? And I don't want Travis at 60% clicking on an email, trying to figure out the problem there on the schedule that's six weeks away and then responding to Bob via text and then to Sam via email. It's like, that's just 50%, 60% right. Travis everywhere. I want a hundred percent 
during that time block. Yeah. And then when I did that and I started doing that, I realized that like, shit, I'm freeing up a lot more productive time that I have at the end of the day. Now I have time to go run. Now I have time to, uh, to do what right. I want to do. And the, yeah, not only are you going to get done, but like the quality is always going to be so much better. Absolutely. Do you apply that to like when you're hanging out with Mary or like when you're out for a run or you're in the gym lifting, it's like, I'm lifting for 60 minutes. I'm not doing anything else. Do you, do you try? Um, and- <laughs> I, I wish I, I hope to get there at some point. Um, me and Mary are really trying to be better and more intentional with our time with each other. Cause like, you know, unfortunately, like we are fortunately and unfortunately, we both have our own businesses yeah. and all of our dinner conversation and drive time conversation transitions from like, you know, fun stuff and like personal things and just us being a couple to like, Oh, what should I do with this next initiative? <laughs> hey, Trav, I'm about to run this like set of ads on Facebook for my membership and all this stuff. And it's just like, we're always talking business. Yeah. And then, but at the same time, like I wouldn't trade that for anything. Cause like she is my best business partner. Um, outside, I mean, Alex is a great business partner too. <laughs> She's my life partner, but yeah. you know, we're also, we're also in each other's corner with business and she challenges me. She makes me think about things differently. She is also great to be able to ask, like if, if I write an email and it's to our entire staff and I want to convey a point, I'll ask her to read the email mm-hmm. because she doesn't know exactly what like scheduling thing I'm talking about or vacation request I'm referring to in the email, right? But when she reads it, she will be like, uh, I get it, but like these two things are unclear. Yeah. Perfect. That's what I needed to hear. Like, so we we work together really well in that regard. But um, you know, I I would like to be getting better about stuff. Now my phone rings. I'm on a run. I gotta take it. <laughs> I take it. You know, sometimes I'm. Right. <laughs> yeah. Tell me what's going on next. But uh, you know, uh, I I think that's only going to get better as yeah. I'm I'm working these time blocks to be more specific and and more geared down. Yeah, yeah. That's um. We call Bree our CCO, our yeah. Chief Critique Officer, because <laughs> I run everything by her. Like, and, and I think it helps probably in your guys' situation too, where you're both in different industries. Yep. She doesn't know what your like day to day work and everything looks exactly. like necessarily. So it's like you send her something. She has such a a more objective perspective. So it's like, I don't know. I love running stuff by Brie for that same reason. It's like, she doesn't know anything we're working on if I just send it to her kind of randomly. I'm like, hey, what do you think of this? She always has some critique. I'm like, oh. That doesn't make sense. Okay, that's all I needed to know. I will be clear with this. That's perfect. Uh, Dude, our spouses, I think, are like the best built-in what's the word? Filter. Yeah, filter. (laughs) That's that's a good way to put it. Absolutely. Um, I love that, man. Yeah, do you guys... um, have like date nights that you do or like how do you how do you i know you're working on it you said like how do you try to implement more intentionality because that's something brie and i always work on i know like most couples are always working on that too, yeah. especially with fucking phones it's like Dude. it's so hard to it's like not everybody be on it. everybody yeah. has access to you 24 7 and yeah. um and you know to that like my wife she she runs basically a consulting and coaching business so her clients have to have access to her, you know, basically at all times. And she gets email requests and she also sells um, products and deliverables. So when something doesn't work, it's like, you know, oh, hold on. I got to take this. Somebody just emailed me. They can't get into the attachment that was sent. I got to take care of this now. I'm like, I get it. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for us is like, we're trying to go in the right direction with creating that space, but also having that understanding with each other that like, this is just part of the grind and really understanding like 
when she has to take something or do something, I just go, that's okay. Like, it's all good. I understand because I'm there too, right? right. And man, that reminds me, um, one of my, the, uh, the doctor that I go to for acupuncture, her name is Jenna Valentine. If you're looking for somebody good and you're in the Austin area, Dr. Jenna Valentine, she's fantastic. Um, go to her for acupuncture and she had something written in her written on her arm the other day that I thought was awesome. And it said, that too is me, or that is me too, one of the two. But anyway, basically saying that you can see yourself in everyone mm-hmm. in any situation. You know, her example when I was talking to her was like the guy bagging groceries at the store. It's taken a long time. It's like you've been new at something too. And putting yourself back there and realizing like you're frustrated, but really that's you too. And that was you five years ago. That was you two weeks ago when you were doing something you'd never done before. Right. And, you know, so when stuff pops up like that with Mary, I just have to go back and remind myself like, that's me too. Like that's, that's me too. Sometimes I need to take that call outside and walk out of the restaurant and put out the fire. And we just have that understanding. Um, and I think when things start to drift a little bit and that happens too much, she totally calls my bullshit and like, hey, you're working too much this week. Like, let's create some space. Yeah. And like Thursday night, do not make plans. What time can you be done? Right. Like four? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> then you're done at four. We're going to happy hour. Like, yeah. let's have that night for us. And we do. So I like that. that's uh yeah, you just got I think, you know, encourage your partner to like call you on it and and yeah. then, and then keep you keep you honest and uh yeah. and 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 in in present with where that's going. Yeah. That work life balance is tough, but at the same time, you know Alex Hormozzi, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um I I saw a video of him a couple weeks ago and he was talking about like people always give him shit that like his whole life is just work. He just makes yeah. content and he works on his business, like and he lifts. Like, like that's all he does. He doesn't like garden he doesn't read a lot of books he doesn't like go to the mall whatever like hobbies a lot of people have he's like he doesn't have those and he's like i don't care because i like working it's like people i think put too much emphasis on like a work-life balance sometimes where it's like oh you have to go and have all these hobbies and you have to go like do this leisurely thing all the time but like if that's not what you like if you like working it's like why not just do what you like i i think it's all about like does that bring you joy? Yeah. Does, does if working, I mean, Hormozzi's, I mean, dude's killing it. Obviously yeah. he's, he's, he's awesome. He's got some, some really good stuff out there and produces great content. But like, you know, for him, if he enjoys that and that brings him joy, right? right? And I think he also probably really enjoys helping people at the root of everything that he's doing, right? He likes yeah. business. He likes sales. He likes doing all these things. I think behind all of that, he probably is very altruistic, really likes helping people very benevolent right so if if that's really what his purpose is and that's being served by him working and that probably brings him more joy than anything and for some people it's spending time with their kids for some people it's you know being able to travel six months out of the year so for them the work is not bringing them joy. It's that travel. It's that time away from right. work that's bringing them joy. So I think whatever is bringing you joy, double down on that. Right. Find a way to make that what you're doing. Dude, that's the secret to life, I think. Right? Just do more of what you like doing. Dude, just that simple. Um, just dude. that simple. Dude, <laughs> let's end this right there. I love that, man. Um, what is the, uh, What's the ultimate goal for Travis? Like... Oh, dude. The, the million dollar question. Yeah. Maybe like 10 year, 20, 30 year down the line. However, however far ahead you want to go. Like, 
what is the thing that you really want to dude achieve? in 30 years i might be dead <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're you're i'm 10 years older than you oh do. my god no, um we always joke me and jerry when we're running i always tell him that i'm with the young buck because <laughs> yeah. this dude's running like six minute miles and i'm just like gasping for air behind him. you are in the prime of your the prime endurance of my career <laughs> i am i am i just don't have the time to back it up a good or a bad thing or not. <laughs> right um man what is what is the goal ultimately i mean I think uh, the goal ultimately is to be living, you know, my uh, as my authentic self and doing the things that bring me joy. And you know, I I love being outside. I love, you know, spending time with my wife and our dogs and being able to create things. And I think like what this business has showed it showed me the most is like, you know. I don't always think about it like work. And I think that's like kind of like Hormozy saying, like if I, I, I took a conference call the other day with a, a big insurance company and it was super productive. And I, I felt like I was in my element. I was negotiating. I was talking to these people. I was presenting our business. I was talking about what we're doing to change the game and like how we are rewriting how anesthesia is delivered. And I walked out, I, I walked out of that call I got out of that call and I just thought to myself like damn like this is what I'm meant to be doing like I had a lot of fun doing that like that brought me joy like I enjoyed what I was doing I didn't see that as work so you know it's be doing more spending more time doing things that make me full of joy and make me excited right and do things that are energy giving instead of doing things that are energy draining and um to have more freedom and uh more freedom and autonomy with my schedule um, to continue to to make an impact for CRNAs across the U.S. and anesthesia providers in general, and just you know create more access to care and uh, to do good things with the business. And and I think if we're hitting on you know most of those things, dude, I'm gonna be super happy. I love that, dude. Well, it seems like you're on the right track. I'm trying to, man. Trying to one it, man. one one foot in front of the other. That's <laughs> a, that's all we can do. Now, my last question. When are you going to run another race? <laughs> Dude, you, you and everybody else. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I might do the uh, the 3M half. Ooh. You want to do it? I'm thinking about it. All right. If you're in, I'm in. Okay. All right. Y'all heard it right here, right Walk now. Walk it in. We just committed to this <laughs> to this, uh, to this arbitrary race I in, I think, a month and a half. So. <laughs> Have you done that one before? I haven't, no. I've heard it's fun. Our, it's net downhill, right? I'm too, I hope so. I'm, bank, I'm banking on that. <laughs> I think it's pretty fast. All right. Perfect. Yeah, Heck let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. All right. Um, oh, last thing. Where can uh, people find you, connect with you if they want to reach out? Yeah. Um, celebrity yeah. anesthesia. Um, all one word on Instagram. Shoot me a DM. Beautiful. Yeah. All right, dude. Thanks for coming on. This is fun. Let's go dude, plunge. This fun. Get a lift in. I'm in. Let's Heck go. Yeah. Show the young buck how it's done. <laughs> That's right. All right. We'll see you later. Thanks for having me, man. Boom. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the channel, leave a review, and share it with a friend. And thank you to our sponsors of this episode, 2before Performance Nutrition. Use the code JMiller for $10 off your order at 2before.com, and you can feel the powerful benefits of New Zealand blackcurrant berries. We'll see you in the next one.